Welcome to We Are Meaningful, a podcast where we transform the anonymous experiences of black and brown talent into powerful audio narratives. Each month, we center the dialogue around a common theme, providing you, our listeners, with the tools and resources you need to help navigate, grow, and thrive in corporate spaces. Our stories, experiences, and our voices are meaningful. We are meaningful. Hi, everyone. This is Crystal. And this is Krista. And welcome to another episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast. So before we jump into the new narrative that we'll be talking about this month, we really just want to say thank you so much to everyone who listened to the Unspoken Rules series, all of your support, your messages. I even had someone walk up to me at a conference last week and they asked the question, don't you have a podcast? And I was just shocked that one, she recognized my face. And then two, that she was an actual listener. I'm just amazed um, just by the support and by the way that our content is really resonating with people. Yeah, me too. Especially because I know that we went into this wanting it to be successful for one reason, right? Wanting it to be successful so that it could be a platform that people continue to use. But I I don't know that we came in here hoping for any kind of like accolade or attention. So the fact that like the authenticity of the podcast is really reaching so many people and it's changing them in the way that it can relate to them makes me really, really happy. Also, Thank you to everybody who's been sending out a bunch of messages and DMing me. I so appreciate it, uh, especially because I don't get that many DMs. So. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, don't slide into her DMs for any other reason <laughs> about the podcast. Okay. Don't, don't speak for me, Crystal. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the title of this month's series is Decoding the Subtext. Why did we choose that and what does it mean? So we chose decoding the subtext because I think that there are a lot of subtle messages that black and brown people receive daily, especially in corporate spaces. And we really just wanted to highlight those experiences and help people to have a better way to navigate when those situations happen. So that's one of the reasons why we decided to name this series Decoding the Subtext. So we'll be talking a lot this month about some of the messages that folks have heard in corporate spaces. Mm -hmm. Uh, What is the subtext from those messages and what they've done to kind of thrive and navigate through those situations. When we talk about decoding the subtext, we're really talking a lot about microaggressions. And as you heard in the narrative, microaggressions are like paper cuts. So these are kind of like subtle insults and slights. And usually the people who don't believe that microaggressions exist feel like it's about political correctness or someone's feelings being hurt. But from research, we know that microaggressions can actually carry significant impact because our bodies react when we experience these paper cuts, if you will, and chronic exposure to these things over time can age us prematurely. So much so that we experience strokes, heart disease, and heart attacks at a much higher rate than our white counterparts. 
Yeah. And for me, it's important that we unveil what microaggressions really look like because as frustrating as it is to try and prove their existence to the majority, I feel even more frustration when I'm trying to prove their existence to people that are within the minority. So I have Mm. conversations with black and brown people who deny that they exist or they credit the intent over impact. And we'll talk about that a little bit more later, right? But much like unspoken rules, uh, unspoken rules are actually a type of microaggression, right? Mm. And I think there's this role that people would prefer we play as marginalized identity groups. And when we start to evolve outside of that, they start to use microaggressions to keep us in our place a bit. So a lot of the times it can kind of feel like we're circus animals and we'll, we'll talk about it more throughout the month, but in the way that people want our identities to fit this one perception that they're comfortable with and Mm. we're entertaining, right? Almost literally, because when you think about what black and brown people are approved to do in this society or in most any, it is around entertaining and it is around providing this kind of relief in a different way, the minute we start to come away from that, we start to be corrected and put in our place with microaggressions. You mentioned it being difficult to explain to other people of color that microaggressions exist. I was literally that person years ago when I was graduating from undergrad, I did some service learning in South Africa. And before I went to South Africa, I was really the person who made excuses for people. And I felt like if something happened to me that was racial in nature, that it was my fault, I could have done something differently. It wasn't the person who was doing the thing. So I'm thinking, oh, no, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. It was me. Maybe I could have done this differently. But after having the opportunity to visit South Africa, what I realized is that the experiences that we have as marginalized identity groups or people that are part of marginalized identity groups is systemic. It was built in that way. So no, I'm not to fault. It's not me. So I feel like that was a huge lesson for me to learn. And I wouldn't, I don't, I'm not sure when I would have learned that lesson had I not had the opportunity to visit South Africa and be immersed in some of the systemic things that were happening there around race. Right. And because it is systemic, right, when we address it, it almost feels like we're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. Like we're slapping a hand that we shouldn't be. It's like, wait a minute, but these are the way things are always said and these are the way, way, this is the way things have always been done. So why are you challenging anything? I did this with the best of intentions and it really is just that it's been so rooted in what is the normalcy of being racist through microaggressions that even we feel wrong when we challenge it. Definitely. So we've talked a lot about decoding the subtext. We've kind of set the stage so our listeners have a better idea of what decoding the subtext means and kind of our focus on microaggressions this month. So let's go ahead and play the narrative. Play it. All right. The truth is that I'm tired. Tired of fighting every single day. I'm educated, experienced, 
hardworking, and smart. These qualities would more than justify a leadership position, right? In fact, I've seen many leaders with much less. My truth is, if I were anything other than a black woman, I would be a C-suite executive in my field by now. I wish I had just one story, but I don't. I have many. Detailing the stalls, detours, weight, and hurt that have been permanently mounted to my identity and that I now carry into every new experience. They can't comprehend the ways in which I need to fortify myself to go into work each day and be great at what I do. Sometimes even I can't. Wondering what type of microaggressions, unconscious bias, fragility, privilege I'll have to endure because some non-underrepresented person just doesn't get it. It's death by a thousand paper cuts. Each oppressive word and behavior is like a paper cut and it's continuous. How can you heal something that's never ending? Or how can you fight it when it's coming from the person who's supposed to support and grow you? What is the subtext that leader gives us? That leadership gives us? What have we missed? And what do we choose to ignore? I've been told unimaginable things. Stuff from tales of workplace horror. One manager told me, He and his wife had never had any black friends. I wonder if he had ever admitted that to anyone else. And in what context? What exemption was he hoping for in revealing that fact? Another told me that the company I worked for at the time had no need for diversity and inclusion efforts. What did diversity and inclusion look like to them? Was it about the literal look those initiatives would bring? Who else felt that way? And then there was this director who judged my performance differently than others on the team. He consistently referred to my resilience and my executive presence when we could have talked about my accomplishments. The highest utilization rates and customer reviews in the department. When I broached it, he disregarded my concern as a personality conflict. Why was I held to a different standard than the rest of the team, even if I was doing better? Was his bias unconscious? How can something subliminal be so direct? What was conflicting about our personalities? Our opinions? Or our culture? This behavior harasses, harms, and hurts. So I hope everyone is listening and learns from this. We need to stop burying our heads in the sand as if these situations have no affect, as if they don't exist. While I'm tired of fighting to decode and overcome corporate America's subtext, I'm not giving up. Because I can't. We don't have that option. I'm strong, I'm resilient, and we will be victorious. So coming right out of that, I just, I feel really exhausted. It makes me think of the way that I kind of have to put my wall up when I go into work. And it, it really hit home about all of the questions and discomfort and doubt that happens when people say, just odd things to us that are truly microaggressions. 
So somebody says something to you and you don't quite know how to react. And in that moment, you almost sort of punish yourself too, because you don't always react the way that you would hope, right? Or the way that you make it out in your mind or you practice in the mirror or you see it on a show and you're like, oh my gosh, that would never happen to me. I would never let anybody get away with that. And then it happens to you and it's such a shock that you don't even know what's going on until it's over. It gets even more unfair when you start to realize that no one else has spoken to that way. No one else that exists in the workspace is being treated as a topic. They're all being treated as people. But quite often when it comes to people of color and their emotions or their reactions or their culture or their identity, it's always a topic from a point of curiosity. And for me, I'm wondering, how long are we going to be in this phase of curiosity? <laughs> I mean, have, how long are we going to be curious? When are we going to move from being curious and passive to being more active and addressing systemic racism? For me, when I heard the narrative, I felt like this person much like many black and brown people were begging. She was literally begging in the narrative to be seen, to be valued, respected, and appreciated. And I feel like this story, this narrative is a culmination of so many different situations that she and others have experienced over time that may have been laid upon her with good intentions. Unfortunately, the impact was negative. Say more, friend. Say more. So when I think about intent versus impact, it's basically that this person who is the aggressor, the person who's laying this microaggression upon someone else, is intending to compliment. They're intending to be nice. So they have the best intentions. However, the statements that they're making don't necessarily land in that way. So an example that I often like to use is that if we're walking next to each other and I step on your foot, I didn't mean to step on your foot. It wasn't on purpose. I didn't want to hurt you. However, I'm sure your toe is throbbing because I stepped on your toe. So to me, that's what intent versus impact means. You're intending to do something good. However, the impact is not so great. Yeah, and I think a lot of times people assume when they hear microaggression, it means that they did something aggressive. And that's not what it means all the time. To your point, I, I don't, there's only a few people in my life who I would be comfortable saying, you had the intention to hurt me with what you said. You were being blatantly racist. I think that sometimes in an effort to relate to us or understand us, the majority says things that end up being inappropriate. But I've also been in situations where I've had blatantly racist things said to me. And those words, they really hit different. So it's almost like those situations made me grateful for the lesser abuse, which isn't right. But I guess sometimes I only feel like I have a choice between one or the other. And if I have to pick, right, I'd rather experience it from someone who's naive rather than someone who's ignorant. But understanding that microaggressions, because they're seen as less intrusive and less aggressive, whatever, they happen to be put on you more often because a lot of times people can get away with them. They can say, well, I didn't mean it like that. 
They can say whatever they want and they can finish it with no offense. Like I, I, I'm just curious. I don't, I don't want to, I'm not trying to hurt you or anything, right? They can literally say whatever they want and then ask for forgiveness. And if you don't give them that forgiveness, you're the bad guy, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And what's, what you just said really struck a chord with me. If you are a person who's listening to this podcast and you're about to say something and you have to qualify that with some statement that sounds like, I'm not racist, but I don't want to hurt your feelings, but I don't know if this is inappropriate, but you probably shouldn't say the thing that you're thinking about saying. That thing will probably be a microaggression. Right. And one thing that we hear all the time, right? I don't see color or I don't care what color you are. You could be purple, blue, yellow, pink, red, or I only believe in one race and that's the human race. (laughs) That sounds ridiculous. (laughs) Tell me, okay. Tell me Uh, that sounds ridiculous. Okay. So it sounds ridiculous. And as you know, I've been talking about this topic for quite a few months But I do want to shout out someone that I started following in February. Her name is Danielle Koch, and her Instagram is at OhHappyDanny. She's amazing. So if you aren't following her, you probably should. Danny, we'd love to have you on the show, girl. So if you're listening, we'd love to have you on the show. If you know Danny, please send her this episode so she can hear us talking about her. Um, But Danny is a illustrator as well as a social activist. And she's been talking about quite a few topics um, in Black History Month, just about microaggressions, allyship, and this particular topic of I don't see color. So I love how she's explained and outlined the, the concept of I don't see color and why it's dangerous, as well as outlined some of the statements that can be, that are microaggressions, basically, um, and really just shed, sh- she's shed a light on some of the things that people from marginalized identity groups are going through. But back to what I was saying, because I digress. I don't see color is basically telling someone that I don't see all of you. That I want this part of you, but not the rest. Like the rest of you doesn't really matter. And what's really important to understand is that I'm not just a woman, I'm a black woman. So it's important for you to understand my experience as I walk through the world, as I walk through corporate spaces that are really indicative of my experiences as a black woman. So I need to come as my full self, as my authentic self, in order for you to understand me, in order for us to collaborate, in order for me to add value, you have to see me as a whole person in all of my intersecting identities. Yeah, and probably a lot of the time that people don't know that it's inappropriate to say or it's taking something away from the identity of another is because they don't really have to adjust and adapt to exist in corporate spaces or in any spaces really. For sure. They just think that we all have the same experiences and that it's all a a level playing field and we all have equal opportunity. And if anybody said that to me, I, I would say that you're absolutely and terribly wrong. 
that's not how it exists in the world. And that's why saying things like, I don't see color kind of negates the gaps of what's available to us and uh, like just the truth of what we experience. Something that was said at the beginning of the narrative is if I was anything other than a black woman, I would be a C-suite exec by now, right? I think that really touches on the carrot and stick methodology, which typically refers to reward and punishment to like manipulate or train people into behaving the way you'd like them to. So the example is, right, you have a carrot attached to a stick that you kind of are leading a donkey with almost to get them to do what you would like them to do. Once they've completed the task, you give them the carrot, whatever, whatever. So this happens in corporate spaces for everybody, but it looks very different when we're talking about women of color and their growth in the corporate ladder, right? Because the carrot as reward is constantly changing so that we, as I mentioned before, we don't go too far outside where they'd like us to be. And so that we stay in the places where our role doesn't make them uncomfortable. So it's like, you know what, Krista, you'll get the promotion if you do A. And then I do A and I go back to it. And I was like, I did A and I did it great. Well, now we need you to do B because of blah, 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 nonsense, nonsense. Okay. And then I do B and I come back to it. Well, unfortunately, somebody else got the promotion. So why don't you try doing C and D? You get what I'm saying? So the, the carrot is constantly moving and we never get reward beyond um, kind of like a pat on the head. We don't ever truly get the carrot. We just kind of get an A for effort. Yeah, definitely. And I think that what you just mentioned is kind of something that we talked about in the last episode of the Unspoken Rules series with Dr. Marcel Davis, where she was going through something very similar, that she was doing these things to get promoted, and then she couldn't get promoted because she continued to come up against these obstacles or more things to do. So then it's just this carrot that's hanging from the string on a stick saying, we'll just do this one other thing. Just do this one other thing, which I think moves us to the topic of allyship and moving from being passive to more active. So at the close of the narrative, she mentions that we have to stop burying our heads in the sand. So I think that's such an important statement because to be an ally, we have to move from this passive individual approach to a more collective and active approach. And to be clear, everyone can be an ally to someone. But since on this show, we focus on the experiences and the stories and narratives of Black and Brown women, we'll focus on the example of race. So when we think about racism, we often think about people in hoods and people who are blatantly racist saying racist things to us. However, being racist also includes, from, includes benefiting from systemically racist systems. So if you want to be an ally for Black and brown people, our white counterparts have to understand their privilege and then actively work to dismantle systemic racism in our workplaces, in our schools, and in government entities that keep racism alive. So I'm, I gotta go back to Danielle. <laughs> I love her. Danielle, if you're listening, we love you to be best. I know I already said that, but just wanna reiterate. She's so, not a fan at all, Danielle. 
not a fan. <laughs> so Danielle recently released this cartoon or this illustration at the end of February, and it was called Reading the Signals, Allyship During Race Conversations. So she leveraged a picture of a stoplight to kind of give people who are interested in understanding more about how to be an ally and actually doing the work a path forward. So in this stoplight, the red means listen. So listen when a person of color is sharing their experience. And then the yellow is for amplify. So amplify the messages of people of color um, to give them more visibility. So don't just copy something and say, oh, you know, I just want to copy this message that I've heard and not give the person credit or not reshare. Like it's really important for you to amplify the voices that originally created this content and the voices who are experiencing these things, whatever these things might be. And then the last thing is to speak. So speak when you witness injustice or have an opportunity to educate or advocate. So with these three different actions, folks can move from being a passive or passive in this work, a passive person, to being more active and really being an ally to black and brown people. Yeah, and I think it's a lot that we're calling out in just this 20 minute conversation, Crystal, it's, hey, recognize, acknowledge that these things exist. And now here's what you can do with it. Sometimes people avoid allyship because they don't fully understand what it entails. And they're especially scared to kind of step on the toes of the people that they're supporting. And even the people who are offending that group, right? A lot of the times, the people in our lives that we end up having to educate and correct are friends and coworkers of however many years. A good call out is that allyship isn't easy. No one said it was going to be existing as a black or brown person isn't easy. Mm. There's never a simple or super comfortable way to call people out or to quote Rihanna, tell your friends to pull up. Pull up, friend. Pull up. Pull up. It's not, <laughs> excuse the pun, allyship isn't black and white. It's more about the practice of it. And the more that you practice, the more ingrained it becomes in the fabric of your language and the way you behave. The thing about allyship that's so interesting to me is that I don't know that I could ever point to one person and say, mm, they would probably hate being an ally. Because in my heart, and this is why Crystal and I always debate a bit around intent versus impact, in my heart, I truly believe that people believe in the justice and in leveling the playing field for us. It's just really hard to behave in a way that perpetuates that because of all the systems around us. So a lot of the time, it's all about us avoiding rocking the boat or challenging the status quo or being seen as different or an outsider when people who are black and brown exist in that way just because they're alive and they're in the room. Indeed. Huh? I said, indeed. Certainly. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So you said something there that really piqued my interest. Go. Mm -hmm. And you said that you feel like people are 
innately good. That's, those weren't the words you used, but they're good. Right. So right. they want things to be just. They want things to be leveled. Yes. However, I think that in order for many people to get to that point, they have to realize that life is kind of like wearing glasses. So you have on your glasses and all of your experiences, your values, your belief system, stereotypes, all these different things are making your glasses dirty. Mm -hmm. So I think that many people who may say that they want to do better and they can't just really, they can't get there because they're making these excuses about, well, what about this? Or what about Mm -hmm. that? It's important for them to clean their glasses And really just understand that a lot of the things that you've learned throughout your life are not universal. It's probably just your mama that told you this or your family or whoever, but that doesn't mean that that is a universal truth. So I think foundationally we have to get to the bottom of the truth in order for people to move forward, which is really leveraging or really understanding your privilege and really understanding what's real versus what's not. Yeah, I completely agree. And just to give like a little bit more validation to the metaphor you used around glasses, right? A lot of the times, and that's the reason why we have this podcast at all. A lot of the times people don't believe the truth of what these narratives are saying or of what women of color are saying in corporate spaces, or they put to your point, a lot of excuses on it to make it seem fluffy. Well, maybe she didn't do this, or maybe this didn't happen, or maybe that didn't happen. And it really has to do with what you said about the fact that there are so many smudges on your glasses that you're willing to make up any excuse to avoid the fact that it could just be this really clear thing, which is that it was racist. It was microaggressive. It was whatever feels uncomfortable for you to say, but is the truth of the situation. So Crystal, what can our listeners expect for the rest of March? Ooh, so for the rest of March, you can expect some really great guests who are going to talk about decoding the subtext from their perspective. So it's really important to understand that you might hear some things that don't make you feel good, but these are their experiences. This is how they have experienced microaggressions in the workplace. This is how they have decoded the subtext. And while, as I mentioned, there may be tons of people that agree with how it is that they perceive these things, there will be people who won't agree. And that's totally okay. Um, But it's really important to acknowledge that the folks that we're going to have on the show this month are really going to speak from their point of view. Yeah, we don't we don't agree all the time. We don't, girl. Uh-uh. We don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> if y'all could hear our conversations like be a fly on the wall, y'all would probably say, hmm, I didn't know they weren't identical twins and they didn't agree right. all the time. There's so much that we don't agree on. And I think that again, I know I already mentioned the power of the platform existing has to do with that too. It's just important that we start these conversations at all. And then we have all of these different conversations and perspectives that are all over the spectrum, right? Of what is black and what is white? How does it exist? What is racism? What isn't racism? All of it. So is it the chicken before the egg? Is it it the chicken before the egg? I hope we find (laughs) out. I don't know. 
2020. <laughs> I do. <laughs> uh, hashtag 2020 goals. Chicken or the egg. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the We Are Meaningful podcast. Follow us on Instagram at wearemeaningful.co and visit our website to learn more about our community and how you can get involved. We're excited to hear your thoughts on today's episode. Talk to you next week.